Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. We're continuing to look now at the Gospel according to St. Mark, um, chapter 8, verses 27 to 35. Um, this, is, uh, this has a lot of different pieces to it, but it is, uh, it's Mark's version of Peter's uh, testimony to the Messiahship of Jesus. But it also then goes on to tell us, um, while, he, while he certainly was able to identify Jesus, he was not a- able to identify what it meant to be the Messiah. And then Jesus's reflections upon what it might mean to be the disciple of the Messiah. So there's three definite sections in the gospel. And the first, let's look at the first. And it says, Jesus and his disciples left for the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he put this question to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others said, Elijah. And others, again, one of the prophets. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up and said to him, you are the Christ. And he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone about him. So there's now a major shift taking place in the gospel that up until this point, Jesus has been instructing, they have been seeing <clears throat> and witnessing, witnessing in, in the revelation that, that are the miracles of the gospel. Um, once again, we, and we've said so frequently that the miracles are not just humanitarian acts, and it isn't just that, you know, Jesus had compassion. Um, and in some cases, actually, that's even a false translation. Um, in, in one particular case where it says, well, Jesus had pity, uh, the, real, the, the real text says Jesus was angry. And since nobody could figure out why he'd be angry or someone who was afflicted, they changed the wording. But basically, he was angry at the evil that was in the world. He was, and we have seen this before in the gospel. Jesus does not think evil is a thing of indifference. He sees it, first of all, as an insult to the Creator. But he sees it, second of all, also as a painful burden to the people whom he cares for and the people whom he loves. And so he becomes then angry at the presence of evil in the world. But in this particular case, this is all part of the preparation then that's going on in order for Jesus then to ask the fundamental question, you know, and basically we could hear him say in his, in his own mind, you know, I've been with you long enough now, I've taught you and I've brought you along, you have, you have seen who I am, you have experienced me personally, you have become my friends, you, you, you know me as a man, um, now tell me who you think I am. And uh, and so they began to answer, and they began to answer from a lot of the uh, from a lot of the usual um, anticipations of the Messiah in in the Hebrew world. And so they say, well, some John the Baptist, others Elijah, um, Matthew in this text asks, um, adds also uh, Jeremiah. Um, but the, but the issue is, you know, they're not telling him who they think he is. They're telling him who people say he is. And this is part of the whole issue with the messianic secret that we find in the gospel according to St. Mark. Because these things are burned deeply into people's minds. And so if they hear the word Messiah, and they have already decided that he is uh, John the Baptist, Ridavivus, or that he is Elijah, or that he is Jeremiah, or that he is one of the prophets, and so forth, 
And then if he doesn't turn out to be that person, then they, their expectations are disappointed and they are less likely to believe in the reality of him who reveals himself to them. So, but to go to the core and the heart of the issue, Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ. And uh, in Matthew's gospel, of course, he, uh, he uh, adds on to that with you are the son of the living God. And in all of the gospels, Peter is, is designated as the primary witness to the, to the Christ as Messiah. Um, there's all sorts of complications um, with the the word witness in the New Testament, and we, we run into that, and we find that certainly in the story of the resurrection. But to this, then, and, and, the, and Jesus responds, it's interesting how he responds, when he says to you know, Peter says, you are the Christ, then Jesus knows exactly what he means, you are the Messiah, because then he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone about him. And so here... And Mark, then, is this business of the, uh, of the messianic secret. And we've already just looked at why, in fact, he tells them not to tell anyone. Um, once again, you know, you think, gee, you know, if the apostles recognize him as the Messiah, why shouldn't they go out and proclaim it to the world? And the answer is because they have not yet learned who the Messiah, who the real Messiah would be, what he would be like. And so they would be celebrating the return of John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or, and so on and so forth, all according to the expectations, or David or Solomon or any of it that makes Israel great again. And they see it kind of as, as almost like as, as a nationalistic um, revival of the grandeur and the glory of Israel. That's what many of them are looking for, if in fact they are looking for a Messiah. And, uh, and so Jesus says, don't tell people, because if you tell them, they're going to engage their expectations and they will be disappointed. And in the disappointment that they have, they will not believe. So that the, so that the designation, public designation of Jesus as Messiah is the work of darkness to try and keep Jesus from being accepted by the people before they fully know who he is. In other words, before the resurrection. And so this is a dynamic that goes on throughout the Gospel of St. Mark and, <clears throat> and is something that we should be, you know, really truly aware of because we ourselves, you know, this idea of false expectations, you know, this is a great deal of the party, uh, part of, of the great apostasy of the church in the modern age. Um, certainly, um, you know, certainly the, the, the Blessed Mother was, has in, in the apparitions and in, in what she has done and told people is aware of the fact that we are going to go through hard times, that the church itself is going to carry basically the burdens at the cross of its own sins in, into, into our modern age. And, uh, and, and we find certainly that it is doing that. Um, but this also, in, in a strange sort of way, as we're going to find out, this also is, is a sign of faithfulness, a sign of fidelity. Um, because, the, because it is part of, of what Jesus tells us is part of the messianic deliverance, is, uh, is the burdens of sin will be the crucifixion in the world. 
And so then after this, then Jesus goes on to teach them, now that he's established, now that Peter has said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, Jesus has acknowledged that by telling him not to tell anyone about it for fear of stirring up false expectations, which leads to obstacles to faith. But then he begins to teach him that the Son of Man, which he then designates himself Son of Man, which he sees as a messianic title, was destined to suffer grievously, to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be put to death and after three days to rise again. And he said all this quite openly. So Jesus now says, all right, you've acknowledged that I'm, now I'm going to tell you who the Messiah is, what his story is going to be. You're, the, you, you, you have, you, have um, you know, cast your lot with me. This is what you're going to expect. This is what's going to happen now. But Peter takes him aside, and Peter begins to remonstrate with him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, because the way you think is not God's way, but man's. What a change this is. Peter is being compassionate. He's saying, you know, it's been a hard life. It's been a hard week, a month, a hard day, whatever. Kind of, you know, my friend is down and out. I'm going to cheer him up a little bit. And I'm going to kind of encourage him. He's going to know I really care about him and so forth. But what he really does is he undermines the whole thing that he's just already done. If he says that Jesus is the Messiah, and if that in some way, shape, or form um, does not include the false expectations of, of the crowds, of the others, of the people, then he goes right back and he falls into the very same trap himself. And just like he said before, this idea of proclaiming the Messiah before his due time is always the work of darkness because it is the work that therefore throws up the obstacles to belief by creating false expectations and allowing people to be disappointed by who the Messiah actually turns out to be and blocking their capacity to believe in him. And so when Peter joins that crowd, unwittingly, of course, but he joins the crowd, um, and then Jesus is very harsh with him and acknowledges that this kind of false understanding of the Messiah um, arises from the depths of darkness. And so he says, get behind me, Satan, because you have fallen victims of the very thing that you rose above a few moments ago. You have, in fact, now become one of the false, one of the false prophets, one of the ones, uh, one of the creators of false expectations. And, uh, and you have to understand that you cannot do this. You may not do this because it is to fall into the hands of the evil one. You know, this goes on continually within, within our own time, within our own world. We have all sorts of people running around bearing the name Christian, bearing the name Catholic, who are guilty of heinous crimes against humanity and heinous crimes against the Lord. And, and in so doing, they are lying about who Jesus is. They are lying about who God is. They are telling us somehow or other that they have created a God that approves what they do, even when it stands under the censure, censures of heaven itself, and even when it is in complicity, in complicity with, with darkness. And, and I, I know that very, very public, this whole business about abortion, um, and, and, and I think part of, part of the issue is in the, in the volatility of the, of the discussion, 
is that somehow or other to say that you're opposed to abortion seems like you are actually insensitive to the sufferings and the trials of many, many women and, uh, and of the personal agony and anguish and so forth that they go through and so on and so forth. But you know, but that's, that's the very thing Peter tried to do. Peter tried to say, oh, it's too hard. It's just too harsh. And I think it's significant. Uh, there was just a news article the other day, and, and I don't even know who said it, and, and I, I don't want to race it, you know, up to a Mach 10 thing. But <clears throat> there was a headline that said about the new Texas abortion law, you know, the Satanists are our, our best hope um, to preserve the right to abortion in Texas. And, of course, that's absolutely correct. And, uh, and, and, and those who are, no matter what they call themselves, or no matter positions they hold within government or within the world, that to, to, to side with the Satanists against the creation, against God's creation, is certainly the, the depth of darkness. It is, is, it is a heinous descent into the, into the underworld. And, uh, <clears throat> and this is exactly why Jesus get, becomes so vehement in his correction of Peter, do not do this. Do not on your lips call me Messiah and then turn around and join forces with the deceptive powers of darkness that leads people astray and lies about who I am and about why I have come and what a discipleship with me is all about. And and. And the reason, the reason really to bring up the volatile ab- abortion thing is because I think sometimes we don't understand what's at stake in these gospel passages. And so to use a contemporary example, I, I, I think is important sometimes. And again, you know, Peter, Peter doesn't, doesn't want to be insensitive. He, he doesn't want to, uh, to uh, kind of support or encourage um, the kind of Jesus' mood which he sees as negative. So despite what Jesus has said to them or how he has guided or directed them, despite all that, um, he, his, 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 what he sees as compassion takes over. And compassion really is simply a twisted vision of the underworld. Then after that, then once that encounter has taken place, once Peter has been rebuked for this, for this false compassion, for this compassion which lies and deceives the people, um, then Jesus says, he called the people and his disciples to him and he said, whoever these people are that Jesus has encountered in Caesarea Philippi. And, and he says to him, if anyone wants to f- be a follower of mine, let him renounce himself, take up his cross and follow me. For anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Well, you know, here's, 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 here's quite a mouthful from, from Jesus. And is this what people come to church to hear? Um, is this what people read the scriptures to find out? Is this what people pray for in their lives? That somehow or other I'll lose my life, somehow or other I'll be burdened with crosses in my life? Um, I don't think so. So I think this is something that really cuts right into the very core of, of our person, at the very core of our belief system, the very core of our lives as disciples. It is natural to the human person to find ways around the great obstacles to happiness in their lives. 
But here again, we have to grapple with the deeper realities. This is part of the problem with with much of what goes on within the, the, the religious narrative of the contemporary age. It's heavily influenced, <clears throat> certainly, by a, an overly optimistic form of Protestantism, you know, the, uh, the, the Gospels of Prosperity and all of these kinds of things. And, 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 and kind, of the, kind of the, I don't know, the carnival atmosphere of, you know, come to Jesus in your life, everything in your life will be all right. Well, that's Peter, isn't it? <laughs> that's Peter talking to, talking to Christ and, and trying to be nice. And, uh, and Jesus becomes rather vehement about that. So too, the, 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 the Christianity of niceness is, is, has nothing to do with the scriptures and actually nothing to do with the revelation of the living God. It's not that we are put here for suffering and pain and all of that kind of thing. It's not that, that somehow or other, you know, I mean, great saints have insights into all of this. <clears throat> I think of I think of Rose of Lima, for instance, who who bewailed the fact that people only knew the joy that there was in severe penances, and we don't particularly see that as joyful. But what she was finding in this moving away from the life of comfort and so forth was she was finding an, an encounter with the living God who who filled her soul, her mind, and her heart. Well, these are the great saints that are lifted up in order for us to ponder the mystery of their lives, not for us necessarily to imitate them. God wants us to imitate them, we'll imitate them, but that's not necessarily the road that every Christian follows or God asks every Christian to follow. But the thing that he does ask is that we do not create a religion of convenience and of simple temporary uh, well-being that we follow him honestly and faithfully and truthfully, and that we realize that in doing so, it will bring burdens into our lives. This is the thing that so many of our politicians have just simply thrown the cross off their shoulders and said, you know, we will not be a party to human hardship, even when that is self-defic, that we're going to do what Peter did at Caesarea Philippi. We will say, yeah, we believe in the Christ, but we don't believe in the Christ as he is. We believe in the Christ whom we have created with our own minds, our own imaginations. Um, and, and actually the more that they do that, the more perverse they become and the more twisted the things they say become. Um, and this is, you know, you can, we can, we can say, well, you know, you have to be careful about talking about modern politics and so forth, but this is in every age, you know, we shouldn't be surprised we have it in our own. It's in every single age. What are the horrible compromises, for instance, that, um, that, that politicians made with the institution of slavery? What are the horrible compromises, for instance, that, that politicians have made in, in useless and senseless wars? Um, and, and we want to talk about a useless and a senseless war. Uh, World War I was probably the, the, the epitome of that. And uh, 20 million people died, and no one can figure out for what. This, these, these, these are the armies of darkness. These are the emissaries of the underworld who come, and maybe not even fully cognizant of what they're doing, but perpetuate these ghastly and, 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 and malevolent forces, let them loose in the world. 
And um, this is always there. The fact we have it today should not be a shock and a surprise to us. It's particularly egregious, particularly offensive, because we're personally experiencing it. But it's part of this whole, it's part of the, the, the German literature had a word for it, the storm and drang. It's the, it's the storms and the stresses of human existence, of human life. And, um, and so basically here it is in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the storm and drang, in the midst of the, of the, of the storms and the stresses and the tensions of our world, we find that in order for us to be faithful to Jesus Christ, while it might bring joy into our hearts, it might bring difficulties into our lives. And Jesus says that's part of discipleship. That's part of it. And is not is not is 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 not trying to make the path as straight, as easy for ourselves as we can, but doing it as faithfully as we can. And there's a difference. Sometimes the fidelity is 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 painful. But if we do it in faith, then it is St. Rose of Lima who reaches out and says to us, in this you will find joy. In this you will find the depths of your heart. There's a huge difference between pleasure and joy. And there's an, there's an old Irish folk song, um, what, Lovely Dairy on the Banks of the Foil. And it's the usual theme, you leave home, you're, never, you're always homesick, you know. And, um, and eventually some of them come home. Um, and, and this is a story of a young man who goes away and then comes home when he's older. And there's a line in it that says, interesting, I've had many pleasures, not yet many joys. And I think that there is in the human, in the human heart, in the human soul, in the human consciousness, that there is an understanding. We can skid along with a kind of happiness that doesn't that that protects us from moving more deeply into our lives. Um, but joy is something quite different. I think that people do ex- experience joy in the great moments of their lives. Um, husbands and wives experience joy in, at their at, the, at their marriage. Um, parents expect experience joy at the birth of a child. Um, there there can be joy in the inner discovery of a depth to ourselves or a depth to the world in which we live we hadn't known before. But pleasure, no pleasure is what we sacrifice if we must for the sake of the gospel. Um, pleasure insofar as convenience, insofar as, you know, that this is, this is another thing that, that happens. And this is, this again, this is the fruit of, of English Protestantism, um, which is very deceptive at times. Um, that's something that, uh, that John Henry Newman discovered. But, but of the Victorian age, there's, there's this poem, um, by, um, called Invictus by William Henley. And, and it's interesting because there's a line in it, and I've used this before, but I think it's an incredibly important line where, where the man says, you know, where the poem says, I am the captain of my ship, I am the master of my soul. We are not. This is the denial of the sovereignty of God. This is the denial of our dependency on God for everything in our lives. 
Um, and I've mentioned this before also, the last person, the last time I heard that line actually publicly was when Timothy McVeigh went to his death in Indiana after the bombing of the, of the federal building in Oklahoma City. I am the captain of my ship. I am the master of my soul. Um, no, we are not. And this is what Jesus means when he said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And anyone who would lose his life for my sake will, will, will save it. And anyone who saves his life will lose it. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's directly contradicting, in, in a way, this attitude that is expressed in the poem Invictus, that somehow or other the invulnerability and the absolute autonomy of the human person, um, of, the, of the radical uh, individualism of, of the 19th century and the early 20th century, that, that this is contrary to faith, and that, and that Jesus is making that incredibly clear that we are not the captains of our ship. We are not the masters of our soul. We are the children of the divine God. We are the ones whom, who live by his grace and live by his providence. It, we, we are the ones who are willing to engage and, and entangle ourselves with the mystery of his involvement in our lives and in our world. You don't think this is true, just read the Old Testament. God is not a concept. God is not a distant being as such. God is actively involved in the personal lives of the people who, who believe in him and who follow him. Um, the, the Israelites followed him through the desert, complaining all the way, um, but they followed him. And, uh, and, and when it comes to, to God's frustration with humanity, Abraham negotiates for the lives of the people of Sodom, all these kinds of things. God is not a distant kind. This is part of the problem. By separating theology from the rest of the fields of human knowledge is that we, in isolating theology, we isolate its object, which is God. And in the isolation of God from the experience of humanity, we fail to understand some of these very powerful and, and, and incredibly strong kind of passages within the scriptures that that if we if we really would surrender to their power we would find they kind of just pull our insides out of us i mean this is take up your cross and follow me lose your life if you try to save it you'll lose it what does that mean that doesn't mean anything if god is an abstract other being that is otherness that is not engaged with the visceral reality of the human person, it means nothing. But if, in fact, we are deeply engaged in the personal reality of the presence of the living God in our lives and the lives of others, and we let flow into our hearts these harsh and hard sayings that he tells us not to punish us, but for us to discover what Rose of Lima discovered, for us to discover the actual joy of living and the joy of hope. So as we listen to this gospel and as we engage ourselves with these powerful words of the gospel, let us surrender our inner selves to the power of God's vision, to the power of his word, to the power of his presence in our lives, that we might discover, as the apostles were to discover, what it means to be the disciples of the Messiah. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. 
Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.